0: You're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. Good to see you here this morning. Welcome here. If it's your first time or you've been here a bunch of times, we're glad to see you. Claudette and I were uh, chatting, I think last night, and and, uh, we were just talking about church. And... uh, she just reminded me that five years ago yesterday, five years ago yesterday, and this is a, this is a good story. Five years ago yesterday, you guys, not all of you, but sort of all of you, uh, repaired our roof uh, at, at our home. Five years ago, you changed all the sh- the, uh, the shingles on uh, on on the roof of our house, and we just—I mean—we were blown away then, and we're still blown away now. Just. Uh, we just want to say that we love this place, and we love all of you, and uh, we thank you for doing kind things like that. That's one of the beautiful things about church, is it not? Uh, The way that we can come together, and we can fellowship week by week, we can lift each other up, we can strengthen each other, we can exhort each other, we can sharpen each other, um, and we can do just things to, you know, just acts of kindness and uh, certainly that um, repair of the roof was uh, that was a huge act of kindness and and we are still as thankful today as we were then so um that's a great story what you guys did for us uh i love stories i love telling stories um i love being able to go to to say like a A Bible camp and and telling uh, some of the stories that happened to me as as a child. Um, I love telling you stories. I love the the Bible stories. I I love hearing my father in law tell stories. Who he may be the best storyteller I've ever met in my entire life. Um, But we all have a story, don't we? We all have this story. I mean, we have lots of stories, but we all have. The story. Um, if we have had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a story, and and uh, I think it's important that we share those stories with with our fellow uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's important that we tell our story how we how we encounter Jesus. Um, for me it was it was a long drawn out journey um, you know it was kneeling down by my bedside with my mom when I was five years old and um, her witnessing to me, telling me about the gospel, telling me about jesus and 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 those sorts of things. but really honestly, if I can be completely honest with you as I should be i that really never took hold for me. Um, it, it never really resonated with me, what Jesus did, um, what the gospel was, the truth of the gospel. It never, ever really took hold until I was in grade 12. Um, and, uh, and my journey between <laughs> kneeling by my bedside at five and, and, uh, and I think, if I'm honest, coming to, the, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when I was in grade 12, there were some pretty hairy moments in, in those years where uh, I look back and I can see how God was kind of gently pushing me to that point. But, um, yeah, I'm not proud of some of those moments in my life. But God's grace is so wonderful. And God's grace is so all-encompassing that he brought me to that point with the help of my family and with the help of some of my, my friends and, and certainly uh, some, some guys that I would consider mentors today, just bringing me to the point where, uh, where, I, where I really, truly understood grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that's what we want to talk about today. And I hope that as we look into the Scripture, as we look into, the, into John chapter 3, one of the most famous evangelistic portions of Scripture really there is, as we look into John chapter 3, what I'm hoping is that we will, each and every one of us, be able to see ourselves in that story. That we'll be able to be reminded of our own story. And then maybe, perhaps, if there is someone who has yet to have that story of an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day. Because, as the leper said, outside of Samaria, this is a day of good news. And we cannot keep it to ourselves, right? Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter (coughs) 3. Excuse me. And uh, what I'm going to do in John chapter 3 is I'm going to read the first, oh, say 12 verses. And then uh, we'll move on from there. So, John chapter 3. And verse 1, it says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how, can we believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the ser- serpent in the wilderness, so must the man, Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's stop there. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's so good to be here. And uh, this, is, uh, this is really just a, a big room without your people inside of it. And so we're glad to be here. We know that uh, our intention is to give you glory, to, to worship, to praise. Um, we know that your intention is to, through your word, to equip us and i father i I pray that that would happen this morning that your spirit would teach us through your word um, that we would leave here um, better better able to to share your word and your gospel the good news uh in this world that so desperately needs it and so we we pray that um Father, as well, that that we would use opportunities that we have this week to to encourage each other, to find little ways to just say, I love you. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that we would pull together as a, as a church, as a body of believers, and not just this church, but Father, we have so many acquaintances within our community, so many uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that, that need to just be encouraged and, and uh, I just pray that we would have opportunities to do that just this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have noticed in the portion of Scripture that we, uh, we read this morning, <coughs> excuse me, that the word born uh, is mentioned a number of times. In some of your versions, it probably is mentioned at least eight times in the first eight verses. Um, So in this conversation that we are privy to as we read in John chapter 3, the conversation is between Jesus and a man by the name of Nicodemus. And he uses the word born here a number of times, but he's not talking, as we know, he's not talking about spiritual birth, or he's not talking about physical birth. He's talking about something that we would know to be spiritual birth. Everyone who exists, all of us here, everyone in the world, we have all encountered or we have all experienced physical birth. You cannot be here without, um, without being born physically. And But when you were born physically, think about this. It was not your choice. You had no say in the matter. It, it was someone else's will. It was the will of other people. You had no say in the matter when you were born physically. Since God is the author of life... I guess it can also be said, not I guess, it, it can be said um, that it was his will too because he's the author and the creator of life, right? Every life has a purpose. Every life has value. It doesn't matter how unplanned a pregnancy is. Every child unplanned in a parent's eyes is a child who has a plan in, in the eyes of God. That's physical birth, Right? it is someone else's will it is that will joined to the will of god and then you're born it's a beautiful thing but spiritual birth is very different i mean we know this to be true i'm not telling you something that you don't already know but but spiritual birth as opposed to physical birth is your choice Spiritual birth is your will joined to the will of God. Because the Bible says that God wants none to perish. Remember Zechariah? But all to come to repentance as God is for you getting saved, having spiritual birth. But it is your choice. Now, I mean... We can get into some kind of existential election things and, and sovereignty of God and all that sort of stuff. We're not going to do that today, okay? Uh, we, we don't have time. We, we barely have time as it is. Um, but we just, we just need to, from a human perspective, from our perspective, it's our choice, right? We can choose. I mean, we talked about it when we talked about Revelation last year. Remember when we read through how many times did it say, And still they chose not to believe. And still they chose to reject. All these times, all these signs, all these judgments that were going on. And the people that were living sometime in the future chose to reject. It was their choice. They could choose to believe or they could choose to reject. And they chose to reject. Many, many. Same thing is true for us as we encounter Jesus. We can choose to believe, like we talked about the very first week we started going through John, we can choose to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that his identity is fully God, fully man, the incarnation coming together. We can believe that, or we can choose to believe that, like many people in the world believe, that that he was just a guy that he was just a good teacher, that he was a, a good person, but he was not God. And if we choose to believe that, then we might as well just go home, right? Because our faith is meaningless without Jesus being who he said he was. That has to be the foundation for which, for, for where, we, where we start. okay, uh, i got to get back to, uh, the, get off my soapbox again. So John distinguishes between physical and spiritual birth here. And, and you can remember that. I mean, we just talked about it, right? But just to remind you, John chapter 1 and verses 1, uh, 12 and 13, it says this. Uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, physical birth, nor of the will of the flesh, physical birth, not of the will of man, physical birth, but of God, spiritual birth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So right there, John distinguishes between physical birth and, and spiritual birth, right? He makes the, the distinction for us. People go around all the time, and they will say, you're a child of God, you're a child of God, you're a child of God. Well, I, I mean, that's true in a sense, because God is the author and the creator of life, yes. In that sense, we are all children of God, but not in a spiritual, relational sense, Because God tells us right here that there is a spiritual birth that has to happen apart from physical birth. Everybody tracking with me? All right. I didn't give you a chance to answer. I'm just hoping that you will. Physical birth is necessary before one can have spiritual birth, but they're two very different things, right? They're very, very different, but they're both necessary, if we're going to be a child of God. And that's essentially where the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus starts here in John chapter 3. But before we get into the text, let me just give you a, a couple of facts about um, about Nicodemus. Who is this guy? Because it's, I think it's really important that we understand who he is, right? We gotta, we gotta get to the context. We gotta look behind, you know, why John wrote this and, and who he was writing to and all those sorts of things. So Nicodemus, f- first, we need to understand that he's only mentioned twice. <laughs> um, he's only mentioned twice in the Bible. And they're both in the Gospel of John, okay? So here in John chapter 3, we're also going to see John, uh, Nicodemus mentioned in um, John chapter 19, okay? We'll get to that in a, in a little while. So Nicodemus is, n- is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible outside of the Gospel of John, and uh, this is the first time that he appears outside of the Gospel, not mentioned at all, okay? Okay? Nicodemus is a Jew with a Greek name. Okay, his name um, means Nike, or as we would pronounce it, Nike. Anybody know what Nike means? Victory. victory. Way to go, Devin. Way to go. All right, Nike and then Demos, um, and that means people. So basically, what his name means, strong name, victory of the people. All right, put it together. Um, so his name is uh, uh, Victory of the People, and, but we also know something else about him. We also know that he's a Pharisee. Okay? Now, Pharisees get a really bad rap, for good reason, in, in the Gospels, uh, because they're mostly pretty mean to Jesus, and uh, that's the way the Gospel writers write the Pharisees into the story. Um, Nicodemus is this... Pharisee, and, and by all accounts, he's probably a pretty, a pretty prominent one, okay? We'll get to that in a minute. But the word Pharisee, uh, Hebrew word perashim, okay? And it, it basically means, um, in Hebrew, it basically means separated ones. And that's significant because the Pharisees wanted or their desire was to separate themselves from the rest of society. Uh, that was their desire. They wanted, They, in fact, I would say they prided themselves on separating from anything or anyone that might potentially contaminate them, um, spiritually or physically. They were wanting everyone to see them. They, they wanted to, and they wanted to be seen as living strict, um, strict in their holy living for God, really, essentially, a lot of it, of course, was hypocritical. Uh, it was superficial. All those sorts of things. But nevertheless, uh, they, were, they were strict about it. And, and they really, you know, they followed the rules all the time. It was just really a, a bunch of fake religiosity. But, but that's what they did. Um, and they prided themselves on it. The, the Pharisees believed... The Pharisees believed that the traditions that they followed um, that were passed down to them by the ancient rabbis in a document called the Mishnah, that became almost more important than the scriptures themselves. Um, And probably one of the places where they really started to go wrong, right? Because it was all just a big list of do's and don'ts. It was checking the boxes. And if we start checking boxes and we start just following a list of we need to do these things and we need to not do these things, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ becomes very shallow. Remember what we said last week? We don't do things so that God, so that Jesus will love us more. We do things, good things, because Jesus couldn't love us any more than he already does. So the Pharisees. Nicodemus belonged to this this group of people. He was a Pharisee. Verse 1 tells us that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, which means that not only was he a Pharisee, but he was an important one. He was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin... I hope that I'm not giving you too many um, pieces of information, but I'm just gonna do it anyway, so nothing really much you can do about it. Uh, The Sanhedrin was this Jewish ruling council. They were made up of 70 men. The Sanhedrin was the group of people that really ultimately sent Jesus to the cross. Nicodemus was one of those, was, was one of that group. It was these 70 men plus the high priest, and uh, the, the high priest was kind of like the, the president or the, the chairman of the board or, or or something like that. The Sanhedrin was the was the group of men who adjudicated legal matters as as related to or yeah as related to Jewish law. Anything that had to do with Jewish law, if somebody broke a Jewish law, the Sanhedrin would be called in to kind of you know uh, say this is what you did wrong or whatever the Sanhedrin at the time that John wrote this was, or at the time of when Jesus lived, was limited because they were under Roman law, right? They were, they were under the thumb of the Romans. So they couldn't do just whatever they wanted. They couldn't, um, for example, they, uh, when Jesus was arrested and brought to, before the Sanhedrin, you know, for that kind of mock kangaroo trial where the charges were drummed up against him. Uh, there's, there's a reason why he went before the Sanhedrin and then after that went um, before Pilate. It was because the Sanhedrin couldn't order executions. That was something that had been taken away from them by the Romans. The Romans were the ultimate authority and so Jesus had to go before the Sanhedrin and then from there to, uh, to, the, to, to Pilate, essentially. Um, I'm getting off track again. Sorry. Uh, Nicodemus was part of this ruling council. So Jesus tells us something else about Nicodemus in verse 10. Did you see that there? Look at uh, verse 10. It says, <clears throat> Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. So it would appear that Nicodemus wasn't only a Pharisee, he wasn't only on the Sanhedrin, but he was also somebody who was referred to as the teacher of Israel. He wasn't just an ordinary scholar. He was, he was a um, he was a teacher known in theological circles as, as being preeminent among scholars of the day, teachers of the day. So Nicodemus was this really high up kind of guy, and I think that as you read through this portion of scripture in, in John chapter 3, you're going to see that, that he actually is quite intelligent, um, and, and we're, we're going to see that as we kind of just work our way through it. Um. The reason why I would say that he's, he's smart or intelligent, I think somebody who is really smart is somebody who admits that they have a lot to learn. Nicodemus, I think, is one of those guys. Because he asks some really intelligent questions here. He asks some questions of the things that he does not understand. He, he recognizes... And this is very different than many of the Pharisees probably because they were, I think that there was a lot of, there were a lot of Pharisees who were insecure and, and they tried to cover that up with uh, being pompous and, and, uh, and, and being overconfident and, and all those sorts of things. But Nicodemus just kind of, kind of bears his soul here to Jesus. He realizes he doesn't know everything. He realizes that there are some things that he knows that don't make sense, and so he seeks out Jesus. Pretty smart guy. So the story tells us here that um, our, our portion of Scripture here tells us that, that Nicodemus seeks him out at night. Keep, keep that in mind. Uh, I think that he comes to Jesus at night for this conversation with Jesus um, well, because of who he is. He's this Pharisee, right? Uh, if people see him with Jesus, we have to remember that the Pharisees uh, did not like Jesus. And uh, they did not want uh, Jesus to have any kind of success. They, Jesus was somebody who was threatening their way of life, their, uh, their rule, as it were. And so it would have been, it would have been political suicide, maybe even personal suicide for Nicodemus to be seen with Jesus. So he seeks him out at night, okay? Keep that in mind. Um, But what we're going to see in this conversation, I just want you to see four things, okay? Really quickly, in the time we have left, I want you to see four things, because what I, what I think we see is um, a progression of events that lead from the start to conversion, okay? They, they lead Nicodemus from, from where he is when he gets, to, G, gets to, to start talking to Jesus to the point where maybe possibly uh, we can see Nicodemus actually believing that Jesus is who he says he is. There's four things there, and, and I want to show them to you. This encounter starts with G, with Nicodemus being um, confused. So the first thing that we're going to see is, is we're going to see confusion. <coughs> then w- once he gets, w- once he kind of clears up, or maybe not even clears up, but but he moves on from confusion. And what we're going to see is he gets a bit curious. And then after he gets curious, and he asks some questions that that maybe bring him a little further up the ladder, the progression. Um, he comes under conviction. And then finally, after he comes under conviction, there's conversion. So those four things I think we're going to see in this story. Confusion, curiosity, just totally blanked on the third one, conviction, and uh, conversion. Okay? Those four things, that's what we're going to see. And really, what I hope that, that you will recognize as we go through this is maybe you'll see some of those same things in your story when you encountered Jesus. Did you see the the times when you were curious? Did you see when you came under conviction, when, when that conversion happened? That's what I'm hoping that you'll see as we go through this. So the first one that we see is confusion, right? Nicodemus is super confused. This is where Nicodemus was. It's the reason why he sought Jesus out. He comes to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness. He's a man of social standing, like we said. Um, I mean, even exploring the idea of being a Christ follower means that he could potentially not only lose his position, not only lose respect among his peers, but, but really he was taking his life into his hands. There were a lot of people, I think, in this world that are confused like Nicodemus was. There are a lot of people who don't really want to fully engage in a relationship with Jesus because of what it might do to their reputation. Have you ever met people like that? Sure you have. People who, who just don't want to, you know ruin their reputation or, or, or even contemplate what it might do to jeopardize their relationship with their friends or with their family members, with their spouse. There are a lot of people very much like Nicodemus. He came under the cover of night. He comes and he's a bit confused. Jesus was this controversial uh, figure and, uh, and the leadership of the Jews at the time, the Sanhedrin, they did not did not for one second believe that Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. But maybe, just maybe, Nicodemus did. And that's why he was confused. Look at verse 2. I mean, this is what he says. The man... um, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus here, he's trying to reconcile the confusion. On the one hand, he's got his Sanhedrin friends who clearly reject Jesus for who he is, right? And then... On the other hand, because he's a smart guy, he he looks and he's hearing about what Jesus is doing. He's hearing the things that Jesus is saying. And and he, he comes to this conclusion, and essentially what he says is, undeniably, you are from God. Notice he doesn't say, you are God. He says, you are from God. What you have to teach has to be inspired by God. How do you do these signs? How do you do these miracles? How do you do these wonders? This has to be a God thing. There is clearly something different about you, Jesus. What is it? I don't get it. He's confused. He's trying to reconcile all the competing information, and he he approaches Jesus with this confusion. And I would say, just as, as an aside... If there is something that confuses you, bring it to Jesus, because he's ready, willing, and able to help you through that. (laughs) Nicodemus believes that Jesus is, at this point, a good teacher. He believes that Jesus performs some miracles, but I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? That's not enough. It is not enough there are a lot of people in the world who believe that, uh, that Je- there are a lot of people in the world who believe those two things. They believe that Jesus was a good guy, that he did some really cool things. There, you know, most Muslims believe that Jesus was a good teacher, and they will even admit that he performed some miracles. The same can be said about Mormons. The same can be said about Jehovah Witnesses. The same can be said about. Um, most secular people, if they would admit that Jesus did indeed exist, they would say the same thing. He was a good guy. But there has to be more than that. That's where they'll stop. And if you stop short of understanding exactly who Jesus was, who Jesus is, if you limit your understanding to just those two things, that he was an historical figure, that he was just a good good teacher, really smart, really kind... He performed some miracles. used magic. You will never understand spiritual birth if that's where you stop. You will never experience what it means to be born again. The very thing that Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand. And, and I'm not trying to shame you. Please understand that. Because we... It's a confusing thing. We're all confused about the identity of Jesus until by faith we accept who he says he is. Because there has to be faith involved in the process. The the gap is too large. And faith is the only thing that's going to get us there. We have to believe Every single one of us have this preconceived narrative of who Jesus is, based on <coughs> how we were raised, or maybe how, or what culture says, or or even what what kind of church you grew up in. All of us come with some kind of confusion that we have to unpack and come to the realization that Jesus is who uh, Jesus is indeed who He said He was who he said he is. And let me tell you something about what Jesus says about himself. It's right in the text. I mean, look at verse 13. We, we kind of read it. Um, verse 13, I'll just read it for you again. It says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant into the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then that verse that we know so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, only begotten, I mean, that kind of sounds like natural birth, but that's not what Jesus is referring to. Um, in, the, in the Greek language, I'm going to dazzle you with my Greek knowledge again, uh, it's the word monogonese. And monogamous, monogamist, um, that kind of thing, it literally means one of, its, uh, one of its, the only one of its kind. Okay? Jesus is using this term here that means that there is no one else like him, who came from heaven, who offers eternal life. This is the sum total of his ministry. And it only works if he is fully God, fully man, that he is God in the flesh. That's the only way this works. He came to save the world. He was more than just a good teacher. He was more than just this guy who performed some miracles. This is the savior of the world for all who would believe. That's what the Bible is telling us. So if you only believe that Jesus was a good teacher who performed miracles, then you're just as confused as Nicodemus was. So we need to get from that place to, to this place. We, we need to, to go from, we need to move on from confusion. Nicodemus makes the observation, well, well, surely God must be with you because you teach really amazing things. God must be with you. You have performed some miracles. And Jesus uses these times that, that Nicodemus invokes the name of God to say, and and I'm just kind of paraphrasing verse three here, but he basically says, well, man, let's, let's go ahead and let's talk about God. Let's talk about the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, because I want you to understand that since you say, I'm a teacher that must have come from God and the miracles that I perform must be from God, you will not see God then if that's where you stay. You will not enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again, unless you move on from your... (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. Unless you move on from your confusion. And that's how he moves kind of from being confused to being curious. And that's what I want you to see next. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, "Um, Nicodemus said to him, See, now he's asking some questions. How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered. I'll just stop there for a sec. See, that's the second thing that we do. Now we see Nicodemus is moving on from the confusion, and he's starting to ask some questions. He's starting to ask some things that maybe will help him clarify the things that he does not understand. With, when, he, when he asks his first question here, how can a man be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb? You see what he's doing? He's thinking spiritual, or he's thinking physical birth. And the reason why he's, he's thinking that is because that's the only thing he's ever known. So someone says you've got to be born again. He's going, well, physical birth. But, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. And so he asks, what do you mean? How can we go back into our mother and be born again? That doesn't make sense. He's curious, right? He's thinking physical birth. Verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural birth, and the Spirit spiritual birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, and he keeps explaining it. So at this moment in the conversation, Jesus seems to anticipate that Nicodemus is going to have this question. And he seems to realize that Nicodemus is probably wondering, how can you tell if somebody is spiritually born? Okay, and because, I mean, we know... uh, we know about physical birth. We know, you know, physical birth is obvious. I, I was there when my children were born. Um, I was, Claudette did most of the work, I'm going to be honest there. But, um, but I was there and I cheered, cheered her on. Um, but, so we can see physical birth, but how do we see f- spiritual birth? <laughs> well, Jesus anticipates passion. question. I, the question, I, I don't know if you noticed that there. Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now listen to what he says. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What he's saying is spiritual birth is invisible. And he uses the, the illustration of the wind. Um, he says you can't see the wind, but you can feel the, the effects of the wind, right? And I think this is a, an illustration of Billy Graham once used. Um, you can see the effects of what the wind does. Uh, like in Hurricane Fiona or Ian or, or whatever, we see what the wind has done. We didn't see the wind. We just saw what the wind did. He's, Jesus is saying the same thing here. He's saying we can't see spiritual birth, but we can see the impact of it. We can see how it changes us. And then Nicodemus asks this follow-up question in verse 9. He's still curious. Verse 9, <coughs> Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him. kind Jesus gets, chides him a little bit here. Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus uses some personal pronouns here. In the, in the New King James, I think they're actually capitalized because he's referring to himself, and he's referring to God, the, the, the plurality of the Godhead here. He, he's talking about how God reveals himself in three persons. And then he makes this remarkable statement he draws on this story from the Old Testament. I've got to pick up the pace here. Um, but take a look at uh, verse 14. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So that, verse 14, is a reference back to Numbers chapter 21. Okay? And the story is—I'm sure you've read it at some point or heard about it in in uh, Sunday school. It's when the Israelites are complaining um, in the wilderness, or they're on their way from Egypt to the Promised Land, and and uh, you know they're sort of starting to wish that they had stayed in slavery in Egypt, and uh, and God has had enough of their complaining, and He sends venomous snakes to uh, to kind of Go among the people, and the people that are bitten are suffering. And uh, amazingly, they stop complaining. Um, well, they stop complaining about going back to Egypt. They start complaining about their snake bites. And they say to Moses, "Moses, please appeal to God on our behalf." And Moses does. And here's what God tells him to do. He says, "Take um, some bronze, make one of those snakes." put it up on a pole, and then hold up the pole. And then let all the people who have been bitten by the snakes look at the pole, and then they'll they'll be okay. Now, Jesus, or God could have taken, or he just could have taken the snakes away, right? But he didn't. He didn't do it that way. Uh, It's a bizarre story, but in reality, it was God's gracious provision. You see, the remedy for the people... You've got you to get this, okay? The remedy for the people who were dying from venomous snake bites, God said to Moses, you know, make this, this bronze kind of statue sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> the remedy for what was killing them was to look at the serpent on the pole, right? Then they wouldn't die. God had grace on them. And what we see is that because Jesus refers to this story... It was pointing them ultimately to Jesus because that's what the Bible does. It points to Jesus. So this story in Numbers chapter 21, it was this picture of what Jesus would do for us. The serpent was a reminder to the people of their sin and bronze in the Bible is this medal of judgment and the pole was this picture of the cross. And so Jesus takes this story and and he sees uh, or he takes the story and he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole so the Israelites wouldn't die, so the Son of Man will be lifted up on a cross so that everybody who believes in Him will be saved. So, do you see it? God's gracious remedy for the Israelites was um, was to look at this snake. God's gracious remedy for what is killing the human condition, our sinful condition, the sin that we have inside of us, there's only one remedy. It's Jesus. It's Jesus on the cross. That's, that's the only way. It's to look to Jesus on the cross and our sins will be forgiven and you will not die in your sin. We're going to die physically, but we will not be condemned. The Bible says there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, and then what does he say after that? He didn't come to condemn the world, but, the, but to save the world through him. Um, and whoever believes, and whoever does not believe stands condemned already, but, he, whoever, but because he has not believed in God's one and only son. See, there's no other remedy except Jesus. Can you imagine if people in the wilderness had said, you know, I'm not really tracking with this whole serpent thing. Uh, So I'm just not going to do that. Well, that would have been silly. There was no other remedy. I'm not going to buy into it. No, there's no other remedy. It's the same for us. (laughs) I mean, the world says that you can get there this way or, or this way or this way or this way. We know that that's not true. There's only one remedy. There's only one way. That's spiritual birth. That is spiritual birth through Jesus Christ. A recognition that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And a recognition that that price can only be paid by one person. The one who purported to be, who said he was, and we believe to be, fully God, fully man. And that sort of just kind of leads us, you know, the progression. And, and I know that we're, we're veering off from Nicodemus here, but, but we have to get from, from confusion. We have to get from, from there to curiosity and then move into conviction. To, to really be convicted that we are sinners because that's on, the, that's on the ladder. We have to get there. We have to come under conviction We have to realize that we need a Savior. We need to realize that we need to turn to Jesus to put our faith in Him, that we need to accept God's forgiveness for our sin. And that leads us, confusion, curiosity, conviction, that leads us to conversion. That gets us to the place where we need to be. That's where Jesus said one of the most some of the most famous words of his ministry, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, he changes us from the inside out. We're born again. That's spiritual birth. And I'll close with this. The Bible doesn't explicitly say that Nicodemus here in chapter 3. It doesn't explicitly say that, that he, he actually got from confusion to conversion. But here's what it does say, and I think that we can infer from this that I, I, I like to believe that we're going to see Nicodemus in heaven someday. I'll tell you why. The last time that we read about Nicodemus is at, in chapter 19, as I said, and it was Nicodemus plus Joseph of Arimathea who in John chapter 19 requested of the Romans the body of Jesus after he died. Those two men wanted the body of Jesus so that they could give him a proper burial. Why do you think Nicodemus did that? Do you think that he would have taken the body of Jesus off the cross, wrapped it in spices and gave Jesus the proper burial unless he loved him. I would say no. Because John chapter 19, Jesus going to the Rome or Nicodemus going to the Romans and asking for the body of Jesus, that's a far cry from meeting Jesus under the cover of darkness. That's where he started and where he ended was saying, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. And I'm going to give him the proper respect he deserves. I, I know we're inferring into the text a little bit, but I, I, just, I just choose to believe that through that conversation in John chapter 3, Nicodemus went from confusion to Conversion. I think we'll see Nicodemus in heaven. And I guess the bigger question is, the more important question for us today is, will you be there? Have you experienced spiritual birth? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you recognized your sinfulness? Have you accepted by faith what he did on the cross for you? And if you have, you have received spiritual birth. Your sins are forgiven. You can be assured that you're going to heaven when you die. But if you have any confusion, if you have some questions, if you need to get to the point where you need to be convicted and recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, this is a day of good news. And we can't keep it to ourselves. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just am so grateful for your word. And I, I just thank you for uh, this time that we could spend. And I just thank you for these wonderful brothers and sisters that we just can share and look into your word together. Father, I, just, I, thank, you that, um, I thank you for the story of Nicodemus. And I I pray that maybe we would see our story in his story. And maybe, Father, would you give us an opportunity to share our story of encountering you with with someone else this week. I just thank you for uh, our church. I thank you for this time that we could spend, and we give you the glory and the praise this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.